You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. It's wonderful to see you again. It's always good to be home. Um, I bring you greetings from my children. Uh, my son who is serving us in uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, in the 101st Airborne. Bryn, who's just started college. And little Lena, who just started high school. Grabbing the horns of the altar on that one there. Um, We are very blessed very grateful for our continued friendship and relationship with this house and consider what we do to be an extension of the life and the grace that is on you and on this place. We could not do what we're doing without you. So thank you. Take your Bible and uh, you're going to need multiple fingers to cooperate here. Mark 10, Job 23, and James 4. So you're all over the map this morning. Mark 10, Job 23, and James 4. Uh, All week as I sat with these texts, um, I had a strong sense of what I was supposed to say, but I didn't have a lot of clarity as to how to say it. And last night I was up all night. Some of it could have been eating food too late, so I don't want to over-spiritualize that. Um, But God works in mysterious ways and even in poor decisions. God shows up. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Woo! I'm telling you, the Lord had me at 6 a.m. this morning, not because I was anointed, but because I had agita. And he suddenly gave me structure to what I'm supposed to say to you this morning. So... I approach this with humility, but also with great expectation, um, because the fact that he could connect with me at that time and where I was at, I feel like he wants to say this to you. Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin reading at verse 35. We're actually going to read through the end of the chapter. I wonder if you would stand with me for the reading of the gospel. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Father, today we ask in the name of your son, Jesus, that your purposes, your plans, your power would be manifest through the preaching of your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would grace me with the words to say and you'd grace all of us with the ears to hear. That the seed of your word would take root in our hearts and we'd bear much fruit to the glory of your name. Amen. You can be seated. If you found the book of Job, also known as Job, verse 20, verse 3 of chapter 23, Job is in the midst of a horrific situation. He's sort of living legend for even irreligious people. He's a symbol of hardship. He's a symbol of suffering. He has three quote-unquote friends who are absolutely pains in places. Thank you. And so finally Job says after Eliphaz has been putting Job in his place and admonishing him, Job's replying, and in verse 3, he's talking about God, and this is what he says about God. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might even come to his seat. What is God's seat also known as? A throne. What were James and John concerned about? Hmm. This is what Job says. If I find out where God sits, I'm going to walk up to him and I will lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. He would pay attention to me. If you can, we're going to fast forward to Job 38. And if you can flip over there or use your phone, we're going to read an answer to prayer. Be careful what you pray for, because God is listening. Oh, that I knew where he was sitting, because if I got his ear, I would shut his mouth. You heard him, right? You heard Job? It's not just me. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Don't worry about where I'm sitting. I'm coming out of the whirlwind. 
is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you. You make it known to me. Anybody got a goosebump right now besides me? I read it and I have goosebumps. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Somebody got a sarcastic God? Come on, somebody. You got a sarcastic God in the house. Surely you know. Who stretched a line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Dot, dot, dot. There's Job. Right? James chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. The brother of Jesus asks this question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions, hedone in the Greek, hedonism, are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Let's stop there for a minute. I'm guessing there aren't many murderers in the room in the literal sense of ending a life. But I wonder what we've done with our tongues because of the passions and desires in our hearts. Sermon on the Mount. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. This is interesting. The presumption here is that we acquire by taking, not by asking. Okay? Verse 3. But you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. I want to speak to you this morning from the topic of blind desire. Blind desire. Early in his ministry, Jesus is moving amongst the people of Israel, specifically the disciples of John the Baptist. And they engage him and Jesus asks this question. In John chapter 1 and verse 38, he asks him this question, what do you want? And friends, this morning I came from Tulsa, Oklahoma to ask you the same question. What do you want? Sit with it for a minute. What do you want out of this sermon? What do you want out of the Sunday morning experience that you got up out of your house and came to? What do you want out of this week, this month, this year? What do you want out of your job, out of your marriage? Do you want a marriage? What do you want? James K.A. Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love. If you haven't read this book, I'm going to plead with you to read this book. Listen to what he says. It is the first, last, 
and most fundamental question of Christian discipleship. What do you want? It is the question that is buried under almost every other question that Jesus asks of us. What do you want? We are desiring creatures. The church has taught us that we should be believing creatures. The academy has taught us that we should be thinking creatures. God made us. And I came here to tell you that above and beyond all of that, we are desiring creatures. Desire in and of itself is not necessarily bad. It's much like emotion in that sense. Desire is not bad. It's what it means to be a creature. It's what it means to be finite. It's what it means to be incomplete. You have desire because you're a creature. But desire in and of itself while not necessarily bad, like a lot of religions might teach us, neither is it necessarily good. All creatures at the bottom of it all crave the good life. But the question is, what is the good life? Job had the good life. Certainly in the story of Job, he's presented as the richest man around. I'm so old, it used to be Bill Gates. Now it's an Amazon guy. Some of you are like, what about Rockefeller? <laughs> Coughing up dust. <laughs> this is what God said to me. He said, I want you to tell them this morning there are three kinds of desire. In Job, we see ignorant desire. Job was ignorant of who he was seeking an appointment with. He wanted it so bad. But man, when he got it, has anybody ever had this experience on a smaller scale? You wanted something so bad, and when you got him, you were like, what? Uh, you missed that. I'll say that again. <laughs> I'll change the gender just to be politically correct. You wanted her so bad, and then when you got her, you were like, really? I didn't know I was getting all that. Come on. Ignorant. You were ignorant when you made that decision. Hello. Bought that house, and it was a money pit. Bought that car, and it was a lemon. Hello. Gave to the TV preacher, and we'll leave it at that. Right? You know what I'm talking about. But it's desire that is ignorant. You see, in Job's suffering, the best thing he could imagine was stepping up to the throne of Yahweh and confronting him. See, Job's idea of the good life was vindication. All he wanted was vindication. Be careful what you wish for. Like James and John, he didn't know what he was asking for. How many of us 
go into our prayer closet and ask for things about which we have no idea. Pray in ignorance. Complain in ignorance. Presuming to know exactly what we're asking for, but heaven help us if God really answered. Powerball hit a billion dollars. Somebody's been praying this week. Your prayer life was languishing, and you saw the, the ad, and you're like, Lord, it's me crying out in the need of prayer. If I tithe and I give to missions, can we work something out? And we forget the words of the great father of the faith who said, Mo money, mo problems. You're ignorant, asking for things. You don't know when that shows up what it's going to do to your life. How many people win lottery, end up divorced? How many people win lottery, end up more broke after than they were before? Win lottery, find out all the folk they thought were friends are really thieves. How's that working for you? There's a desire in us that is ignorant. If I just had a million dollars, you'd ruin my life. That's what you'd do with a million dollars. If I could just get to the throne of God, I would, you would shake in your boots. That's what would happen. I bring that before you this morning so that the Holy Spirit can examine all of our hearts today. And ask us this simple question. The things that we're passionate about, the things that we invest our hearts in and our prayers in, do we even really know what we're asking for? The sentence, oh, if I could only blank, fill in the blank. Do you really know what that's about? Because if you don't know what that's about, God's blessing you by not answering that prayer. You see, God answers every prayer because his silence is the answer to your prayer when your prayer sucks. And on that seat, God sits there and goes, he don't even have to say no. Silence is God shaking his head. You don't know what you're asking for. The gospel reading tells us the story of the sons of thunder, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. As Pastor Bill was telling us this morning, two men. Peter left his nets, they left their father. Come on, somebody. Peter left his nets, they left their nets and their papa. John, who many and tradition would claim is the one who laid his head upon the breast of Christ. Isn't it interesting that intimacy does not prevent you from saying stupid things? This second kind of desire that we see here is arrogant desire. Not ignorant, but arrogant. 
If you will, look at that text in John 10, verse 35, the last line. We want desire. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest everybody in this room is too smart to pray that kind of prayer. You have too much self-awareness to pray that kind of prayer. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Well, what's arrogant about that? What's arrogant is the presumption that you know what you should be asking for. Now, notice this, if you will. They act like Jesus hasn't just been talking about his death. In the preceding text, Jesus has just told them, not for the first or second, but for the third time, that the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem, and he will be condemned to death, and he will be mocked, he will be spat upon, he will be flogged, and he will be killed. And they're like, (coughs) excuse me, could you come over here for a second? And they pull Jesus aside after hearing this prophetic foretelling of his passion. And they say, we'd like you to do whatever we ask you to do. Awkward. Think about it. How awkward is this? Clearly, it's all about them. Arrogant desire... Listen to this. It is disinterested in God's purposes and God's plans. To the point that even when you hear them, they don't affect you. Because arrogant desire is an all-consuming desire. You can sit in church and listen to your pastor preach the most prophetic, reading your mail kind of sermon that you could possibly hear and walk out and say, but God, I need you to do X. There's an arrogance there. You say, well, that's not really fair. No, here's what I want you to consider the possibility is that when God is telling you what he's up to, you don't care enough to stop and sit with that. You want to move right on to what you're up to. I don't mean to be harsh this morning. But there's something in all of us that takes ourselves and our desires way too seriously. And it shows up in prayers like this. And I'm so grateful that this recording in Mark's gospel is laid out in the way that it is. Because I'm embarrassed for them. And when you read the scriptures with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, remember, sarcastic God is like, and you don't do this. Arrogant desire, secondly, it thinks that greatness is found in position rather than service. Arrogant desire thinks that greatness is found in position rather than in service, which is why Jesus has to go into a teaching here about the kingdom of God and how different it is, how foreign it is to anything that they've experienced. Because when they're talking this way, and let me even just add this side note here, they say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Well, here's what we know. They don't even know what his glory is. Because his glory is a cross. 
And if you're going to be on his right hand and on his left, hello, you're going to be a thief on a cross. They think glory is political power in Jerusalem. Glory is overthrowing principalities and powers on a hill called Calvary. That's what glory is. And you want to get on the side of that seat, you're going to have to drink a cup. Arrogant desire is oblivious to its effects on the people around us. James and John forgot it wasn't just them talking to Jesus. There were ten brothers who were also called, who also left stuff, who also had been walking. We also might take into consideration that it had already been said that these twelve men would be seated on twelve thrones, representing the twelve tribes of Israel. But arrogant desire is never satisfied. It's not enough that I'm going to be on the throne. i got to make sure that my throne is closest to you. And these ten brothers are watching, and it says in verse 41 that when they heard it, they began to be indignant. What do you want? What are you pursuing with your life? Let's ask this follow-up question. How is your pursuit of your desires affecting the people around you? Is it alienating the people around you? Is it inappropriately hurting the people around you? Is it stirring up the worst in people around you? John Chrysostom says of James and John that they thought that now was the time for crowns and rewards. It's amazing how arrogance will so quickly put us out of place and have us out of sync with what God is doing. You see, Jesus offers a cup as the alternative to the throne. You want a seat? I'll give you a cup. What was that cup if it wasn't his suffering? This is why, and we talked about him a bunch yesterday in our 318 meeting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, when Christ calls a man or a woman... He bids him come and die. And no one said amen. Because y'all are smart. When God calls a man, he bids him come and die. Why? Because he understands resurrection. When we call Jesus, we bid him do whatever we want him to do. And his response is a cup. What I'm doing is I'm breaking the rules because today I've decided to mess up your pastor's sermon for next Sunday. And I didn't even ask him if I could do it. I just came in and I said, I'm going to do it. And so the text today, theoretically, not theoretically, it literally ends at 45. But for me, that was just theoretical because I decided it was just too much to pass up the fact that Jesus asks blind Bartimaeus the very question that James and John wish he asked them. 
James and John never heard these words, so they had to put it out there. We want you, listen to this, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus looks at a blind beggar and says, what do you want me to do for you? Sorry, I couldn't pass it up. Because we've seen Job's desire, and it was stupid. Ah, you know what? That's not fair to Job. It was ignorant. Ignorant isn't stupid. And everybody said, yes, that's correct. That's right. You just, he didn't know. You just didn't know. And then the whirlwind, and then, oh, my, change my shorts, right? <laughs> James and John, they were at another level. This wasn't just mere ignorance. This was arrogance that somehow they not only had the knowledge, but they qualified for the son of the living God to do whatever they asked him to do. And here's blind Bartimaeus. He doesn't have ignorant desire. He doesn't have arrogant desire. He has blind desire. Now, what I love about Bartimaeus is that this kind of desire is expressed, first of all, in what I'm going to call an all-the-more spirit. And you can feel free to stir up that spirit even while I'm preaching. I'm not going to stop you if you feel that. Because there's somebody in the room who's been questioning their desires. And that's fine. Because some of us, our desires are askew. Like James said, we ask amiss. We ask wrongly. We ask. We desire things because we want to indulge ourselves. But there are other people in the room this morning who have holy longing, holy desires. And can I tell you this? Holy desire is not fit to passivity. I'm going to say that again. Holy desire is not fit to passivity. What do I mean by that? If God has put a holy longing in your soul, this is not a time for you to sit back and hope something good happens. If he's put a longing and a desire deep in the soul of who you are, it's not time to just cross your fingers, twiddle your thumbs, and say, I hope he does right by me. It's time for you to lift up your voice and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. And can I tell you that when you do that sort of thing, people who don't have that kind of longing are going to be put out. See, there's a difference between what happens to the ten and what happens to the crowd. The ten are indignant because they know what James and John are up to and the division that it's causing among them. But what's happening with Bartimaeus is not that. It's not a sort of appropriate indignance. It is exposing the superficiality of the crowd. Don't bother Jesus. He's got somewhere to go. Holy longing that comes up from down in your spiritual toes is a longing that when people tell you to shut up, you like Bartimaeus cry out all the more. 
When the preacher's preaching, you're a little bit too loud. When the worship's going on, you're a little bit too crazy. When the offering's being taken, you're giving a little bit too much money. When the sign-up's there, your name is first on the list. Why? Because you've got a desire deep in your soul. You've got a longing deep in your heart. And when your friends tell you you're a little bit too committed, when your wife tells you you're a little bit too fanatical, you embarrassed her when you started singing off-key, you go up an octave and sing louder and higher and more off-key. Blind desire is unrelenting. I was in a room having lunch with about 50 other people and a guy you may have heard of. His name is T.D. Jakes. Okay? And T.D. Jakes is a large man with an even larger presence. And he likes little dogs with big names. So he's got one of them little Yorkies or something named Bentley. That's an appropriate name for a TV preacher's dog, Bentley. He has very large French doors off of his den. Bishop is sitting on his couch, lounging, relaxing. And he noticed Bentley had a desire. And Bentley's desire was to go outside. So Bentley walks over to the French doors, which are cracked a little bit. And Bentley stands at the door like this and... And the door doesn't open. So Bishop is about to get up off the couch. He said, you know what? I'm going to wait and see what this dog's about to do. The French doors are, he, he lives in a nice home, I'm guessing. So French doors are heavy. They're big. Bentley is small and weak. So Bentley, and then Bentley goes like this, and he pushes his face up against the door, and the door doesn't move. So Bishop keeps watching, and Bentley backs up from the door a little bit, about three feet from the door, and Bentley takes a little run, poof, <laughs> and the door goes, <sighs> Bentley backs up a little bit further, he's about two yards back from the door, and and Bentley's like, how get Just when Bishop was about to get up off the couch, he said, let's just see one more time. And Bentley backs all the way up. To the point Bishop looks down and Bentley's now back by him at the couch. And he's like, come on, doc, let's see what you got. And Bentley takes off. And Bentley's running. Bentley's trucking his little feet on the floor, right? But what Bentley does, Bishop was not expecting Bentley Dunn picked his body up off the ground, and he sideways, side, right into the, boom. Some of you asking, some of you seeking, some of you knocking, but you're not running and throwing yourself at it. Doors open up to folk who throw themselves at the door. Somebody came in with a longing for more of the Holy Ghost. Someone came in with a longing for direction and vision and purpose. Someone came in with a longing for peace in your marriage and in your home. Someone came in with a longing for wisdom. Throw yourself at that door. 
all the more. I love this. Blind desire is marked out by quick obedience. Quick obedience. I love the fact that Bartimaeus cannot see, but he can hear. Use what you got, baby. He heard that Jesus was walking by. Didn't see him, but heard him. And he starts calling out. He's not a mute, so he can speak. He starts calling out, and they say, you better be quiet. He calls out all the more, but he never gets up out of his seat. He stays seated until Jesus calls him. But I love this. When Jesus calls him, he springs up out of his spot. He may be blind. He may be a beggar. He may spend all his days sitting. But I'm telling you, he's doing some calisthenics when he's on the ground, just stretching them legs for his moment. Listen, when Jesus calls, do not delay. When Jesus calls, don't sit there and think about it. When Jesus calls, you better spring up on your feet and don't let him pass you by. Lastly, his request seems obvious, but it's quite profound. He's a beggar, most likely disconnected from Timaeus, his father, has no resources. They don't have a system. This is first century Palestine. He can't go to the local county office and get help. He doesn't have a card that he runs through at Walmart. He's begging. He's desperate. And he doesn't ask Jesus to address the poverty. He only asks Jesus to restore God's original intention for him. Friends, don't ask God to make you something else. Ask God to make you what he always meant you to be. Holy desire is not looking outside yourself to be something else. Holy desire realizes that the root of the problem is not my poverty. The root of the problem is God made these eyes to see, and they're not working the way he intended them to work. If I could just be restored to my original purpose, all the other things I can deal with, I can get a job, I can work, I can make money, but you've got to restore your purpose for me. How many of us sit in a room on a Sunday and we're trying to deal with a money problem and we're trying to deal with a marriage problem, we're trying to deal with a health problem, we're trying to deal with a kid problem, and we're not realizing there's a root problem and it's called what did God make you to be? Let God fix that, let God heal that, and let fruit come out of that. We're asking for fruit and God's trying to grow a tree. proof of our desire is in our pursuit. What we're going after. What we're spending our money and our time on. What we're talking about. What I love about the end of Bartimaeus' story is that blind desire is pure desire. And he doesn't go home to his family. And he doesn't go home to try and find a job. He followed Jesus. He followed Jesus at the time when it was becoming to be the least popular thing to do. Or should I say the most dangerous thing to do. 
And I began to think to myself, how many years was Bartimaeus blind? I don't know. Seemingly for a long time, he was a known beggar. I thought to myself, what was the first thing he saw when he opened his eyes? Was it the son of righteousness? Was it the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth? When he opens his eyes for the first time, is he born blind? Doesn't really know what anything looks like. And the first thing he sees is the creator of all things that he's never seen. The first thing he's seen is more beautiful than any landscape, more majestic than any canyon, mountain, or river. The first thing he sees is the word who was in the beginning with God and was God. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Maybe that's the first thing he sees with his eyes. And he says, you know what? It doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than this. This is the problem. Our desires are not blind. We've seen so many things that dupe us into thinking they're worth going after. But what if the greatest blessing we could have is the blindness so that when God does touch us, the first thing we see is the best thing we could ever see, and his name is Jesus. What if the miracle that you desire this morning in this room is not really an end in and of itself, but it is a setup to change the very direction of your life? One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is found in Psalm 27 and verse 4. And the psalmist David says one thing. Everybody say one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. How far removed is this from James and John saying, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. How far is this removed from Job Saying, oh, I wish I could get an audience and put Yahweh in his place. This is a psalmist crying out. I only want one thing. That I could dwell in the temple of the Lord all the days of my life. And when I'm there, I want to be able to gaze upon and behold his beauty. And I want to inquire in his temple. Isn't it interesting that the man who never saw anything opens up his eyes and what he sees is the true temple. Jesus himself said, this temple, you tear it down and I'll raise it up again in three days. This is the one who's not only opened his eyes but filled his eyes. Let's pray this morning. If you're here this morning and you've been convicted because you feel as though the things that you've been desiring are superficial, they're not holy longings. It's like what James said. You're asking wrongly because you want to get whatever you want so you could spend it on yourself and fulfill yourself and indulge yourself. 
This is an opportunity to set the slate clean. It's an opportunity to, to let God come in and open your eyes to see what's really worth pursuing. Today is an invitation to recalibrate your desires. Today is an opportunity to be like David and say, I'm going to be a one thing person. I'm going to seek after that one thing. I'm desiring that one thing. Jesus said it famously and more plainly and more beautifully than ever, I ever could. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I'm talking to people who've been focused on all these things, and I'm saying the Holy Spirit is saying, come back to the kingdom, come back to the temple, come back to the beauty, come back to Jesus, pursue him, be caught up in him. You think he's not going to take care of the other things that are pressing on you, your money and your marriage, and your, he's going to take care of those things, but let him take the first place. Let him be at the rightful spot in your desires. If that's you this morning, I want to pray grace over your life. I want to pray restoration recalibration over your life just throw your hands up in the air and I want to pray for you this morning father you see hands going up all over this room this morning we've got our priorities off we've got our focus off our eyes have distracted us from what's most important and we're desiring that things that ultimately aren't going to satisfy I pray God for each one of us with our hands in the air that you would touch us with grace this morning and right now, I ask that you would extend supernatural power into each soul, into each heart who's reaching up to you. Recalibrate, reorient, reset us this morning. Reset our desires. We can't stop desiring, but we want to desire the right thing, and that's you. Help us, oh God. Help us, help us, help us. Is there a Bartimaeus in the room this morning who walked into this place and there's something deep in your soul, deep in your gut this morning that you've been afraid to ask God for? There's something about who you're called to be that you've been afraid to go after it. You've been afraid to lift your voice. Maybe you lifted your voice and somebody put you in your place and shut you down. And God is calling out Bartimaeus this morning. He's calling out that spirit inside of you that says, I'm going to cry out all the more. God got me in this room today to encourage me, to spur me on, to provoke something in me that's going to be a voice that's crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. If that's you this morning, I want you to just stand up on your feet and lift up your hands, and I want you to start crying out to Jesus. I want you to lift up your voice and not wait for somebody else, not wait for somebody to set the pace for you, but I want you to be, somebody got a shout in your spirit that's going to come out, and nobody's going to stop you. Nobody's going to hold you back because the desire is the right desire. It's a God desire. It's for his purpose, his glory, his intention, his design, his destiny, his dream coming to fruition in you, coming to fulfillment in you so you can bless others, you can lead others, you can touch others. Somebody got a shout in your spirit. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.